if you have a Bible or you have a little electronic Bible on your phone or your iPad, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to look this morning. We're actually going to take a, a little pause with the Peter series. We're going to look at this passage today. And what I want to do is I just want to pull out a few devotional points, just some things to kind of pump some air in your tires and uh, get you going and encourage you for the week. And this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, here's what he says, and I'm reading from the CSB. He says, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I'm less than nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I am nothing. Love is patient. It doesn't demand everything now. Love is kind. It doesn't crush other people. Love does not envy. It does not crave what it does not have. Love is not boastful. It's not immodestly braggy. Love is not arrogant. It isn't superior and confident, overconfident. And love is not rude, ill-mannered, or pushy. Love is not self-seeking. It is not irritable and ill-tempered and, and does not keep a record of wrongs. It does not keep a ledger of resentments against the sins of others. And love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices, rejoices in what is true. Love bears under all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes for all things. Love endures all things. Love withstands whatever comes its way. Love never ends. It is the one enduring quality of life. But so far as prophecies, they will come to an end. As far as tongues, they will cease. As far as knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. You see, when I was a child, I, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see only a reflection in a mirror, dimly. But then we shall see face to face. And now we know in part, but then we shall know as we are fully known. Now these three remain. Out of all of that, all the gifts, all the talents, all the blessings... All the stuff that God puts into our life, these three are the enduring qualities for eternity. Faith, hope, and love, and love out of all these is the greatest. So I want to talk this morning to you about these three qualities. A few thoughts, because I think in our culture right now, they are in short supply. And we are the place, we are the people where they are supplied. They are supplied in this word and they're supplied in this gathering, in this holy church. And we've never needed faith, hope, and love more than we need it today. Never. We talk about faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance, it's the stuff of things hoped for, the evidence of things you cannot see. Faith is an intentional state. 
In order to have faith and not waver, you and I must build our faith, we must exercise our faith, and we must do whatever we can to recharge our faith. You got to build it, you got to exercise it, and you got to recharge it. But how do you do that? I think there are three practices you and I can do, three things that you and I can put into practice every single day to encourage, recharge, rebuild our faith. And the first one is this, guard your hearts against spiritual contaminants. Stuff that's just toxic to your soul. So about two months ago, I gave up cable news. Yes, I, I kicked the habit. Up until that point, I did not even know how miserable I was. But two months later, I feel so good. <laughs> I can't even begin, I don't even watch the local news now. Like I just, I TiVo it, like I just record it and I fast forward and I look through to see if there's anything I really need to know and then I go straight to the weather report and that's kind of it for me. I have one little Christian post, I have a Christian post news that I flip through in the morning for headlines and that's, that's it. And let me tell you why I did that. I did that because I came to the conviction that the culture is poisoning us. We are being poisoned 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and now it is all available in a little magic device in your hands. And what the culture is trying to do is to turn us into omniscient beings. I have news for you. You were not designed to be omniscient. There is only one who is omniscient. And if the culture had its way, it would fill your head with every fact and piece of knowledge that it possibly could until you exploded. You and I can't carry that. Listen to me, you can't carry everything. That doesn't mean you should be ignorant of everything, but I think you should be a little more ignorant. I think it's okay. I think the virtue of selective knowledge is good. I learned this a long time ago. I was in England. I was 17 years old now. I got saved when I was 15. And when I say I got saved, I mean I got radically born again, filled with the Spirit, molten hot power from heaven. I mean, I was, I was a 17-year-old kid who would go out downtown Richmond, Virginia on Grace Street and I would just stop people and hand them a four spiritual laws track and I would get punched in the face and sometimes I would punch people in the face back. <laughs> I was just a young Christian, but I wanted everyone to know this Jesus who had changed and transformed my life as a lost, hopeless, dark little kid. And Jesus changed my life and I wanted the whole world to know. And I remember I was, I was staying in England, Chester, and I was there uh, at a church, working at a church there, and I was helping them with their drama team, and we had a little lull in the drama practice for Sunday, so I went outside, and it was an urban church, so I, I wandered down to the bottom of this long stone staircase, and it just sort of overlooked Chester. And I remember I was just leaning on the, the edge of the staircase, and I was looking, and all I could think about was all the lost souls who needed Jesus. And a lady had followed me from the church, uh, from the drama practice down, and she said, uh, uh, what are you doing? 
And I said, I'm just thinking about every lost soul who needs Jesus. And I was going on and on about how I was going to go out there and I was going to win them all. And we we're going to pray them into the kingdom. And she said, oh, that's wonderful. But do you think the Lord has really uh, made you to carry all that? And I just, I, it hit me like a brick. I mean, it lanced me. I thought, well, I, yeah, I think I am supposed to carry all that. She said, no, I don't think you are. I don't think you are. That, her, her saying that to me discipled me. It changed me. I thought, oh man, I can't bear, bear the weight of the world. There is only one who can. There is only one who did on the cross. Years later, when I graduated from college and I was a youth pastor in the Tri-Cities, Washington, I had almost the same experience. I was at a little Assemblies of God church out on Locust Grove Avenue, a wonderful, wonderful church full of wonderful people. And we were having a little conference there. And a guy who was kind of the district youth leader of our district, he wandered over to me and he was a mentor to me. Because I was a young guy and, he, and I, he was wise. He had some years in ministry. And he loved the Lord, and he was so mature, and he wandered over to me during our prayer meeting, and he said, Jeff, I kind of just feel like you, you try to carry too much. And I just think this is a word from the Lord to you. Take it for what it's worth. That's what he said. Take it for what it's worth, but I just feel like you're trying to carry too much. You don't have to carry all that. You don't have to know all that. And when he said that to me, honestly, that set me free. I still struggle with it. But listen, you weren't designed to be omniscient. Neither was I. Folks, if you are struggling with the weight of this crushing world right now, listen, you may need to shut down all your apps, turn off your cable news, and all that stuff, because God wants us to pray for the world and pray for our community, but he doesn't want us to carry everything out there that is to carry. We're not designed for that. Philippians 4, 7 through 9 says this, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, which is an unexplainable inner peace, an unexplainable inner peace that Christians have will guard, guard, like a sentinel, your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And here's how you get that peace. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, the truth, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable. If there is any moral excellence in it, and if there is anything that is praiseworthy in it, then dwell, reside there. Dwell on that. He says, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will guard you. So the peace that you and I have is not just something God imparts to us. It's God himself, God in our midst, God in our life. He is the one who guards our minds and guards our hearts. And we must, we must guard the entry to our soul. Because there are so many things in the world that will try to pollute your soul. That's how we build and recharge and strengthen our faith. The next one is lock arms with other believers and mutual encouragement. That's what we're doing here today. That's what we're doing here today. Any way you can, lock arms with other believers and encourage one another. Scripture says encourage one another. You and I have to find ways in this weird world that we live in right now to gather, to connect, and to encourage each other. The best way that you can do that is, is in a home together, having other believers over for dinner, to study the word, to pray together. To meet together. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. 
Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. The, the key to not neglecting the faith is to encourage one another in the gathering. Thank you for showing up today. Thank you for the, having the courage to sit there without your mask on and to worship God and hear the word and follow Christ's teachings. You know, the, the church that he's talking to in the book of Hebrews, those people, those were Jews. The reason why that book is called Hebrews is because those were Hebrew Christians and they were tempted to jump ship and go back to the synagogue system because of the extreme persecution on the church and how easy it was in Rome on the Jews because the Jewish faith was legal, Christianity was illegal. And so there were a lot of people being tempted to jump ship and five times, that book is structured around five warning passages where he says this, do not go back to that obsolete system. Christ has fulfilled it. He's superior to it. That's what he's saying in the book of Hebrews. That's his message. His message is don't stop gathering with the assembly because if you get out there and you're on your own you run the risk of losing and leaving your faith that's what he says to them so don't do that and we must fix our eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith what does it mean for Jesus to be the author and finisher of our faith the fact that he's the author means he's the creator the originator the purveyor no one other than Jesus gets to determine the content and the direction of our worship. I'll say that again. No one other than Jesus gets to determine the content and the direction and form of our worship. He is the author of our Christian worship. He is the finisher. Jesus alone can finish you. He's the only one who can, who can complete the work that he started in you. And when you and I take our eyes off of Jesus and put them on anything else, we can't be finished the way he wants to complete our lives. So if we're going to cultivate a life of faith, we must guard our hearts and minds against the toxic divisiveness that is in this world. We must lock arms with other believers over the essentials of the faith, being mutually encouraged together, and we must fix our eyes on the author and finisher and completer of the faith that he has begun in us. Second enduring quality here is Hope. What is hope? The scripture says, hold on to hope. Hold on. Sometimes when you feel like your faith is weak, the only thing you can do is hold on. And that's when hope kicks in. What is the difference between faith and hope? What is it? Faith is the impulse that will cause you to leap into the dark. Have you ever done that? It could be a a business venture or something that you feel like God has called you to do and you leapt into the dark. And then once you got there, hope will keep you there, right? Hope will keep you once you leap. Faith is an intentional state. In order to have it, we must not waver. We must be intentional to build our faith, to exercise our faith, to recharge it. But hope is the byproduct of living faith. Hope is a byproduct. It is the fruit of a well-cultivated life of faith. Titus 2.13 says this, While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is our hope? It's not just in anything. Our hope is in the blessed Savior. The Savior, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's a blessed hope. The hope is refined and strengthened while we wait. He says, while you wait, 
Hope is built. So what are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? Is there anything you're waiting for right now? I, I'm waiting. Are you waiting for the winter to come? Some of you look like you are. No, none of us are. No, we like summer, right? While it's winter, I wait for the summer. That's what I wait for. What are, we, what are you waiting for? It could be retirement. You could be waiting for that pay raise. Waiting for a vaccine to cure our culture from this waking nightmare we're in, right? Whatever you're waiting for, here's what I want to say. Whatever you're waiting for, whatever you're hoping in, eventually, no matter how good that is, eventually that hope will disappoint you. I mean, it just has to because it's temporary. There is only one hope that is not temporary. There is only one hope that isn't temporary, and that is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his glorious return. And if your life is defined by that hope, then that will color how you hope in everything else. And when disappointments come and they go, listen, you will have that hope. Because that's the only thing eternal. It's the only thing eternal. Listen, anything else we hope in other than Jesus will eventually disappoint us. Money will eventually run out. Health will eventually surrender to time. You, do you know what the track record for time is? Almost 100%, except that one time when a man came out of the grave forever and ascended to the right hand of the power of God. Except for that time, time is pretty much 99%. It's just effective. It's going to get you. It doesn't matter how much you try to keep yourself healthy, and you should. It doesn't matter how much money you make in your life, and I think you should. It doesn't matter how much happiness and family you have in your life, and I think you should have all of that. But eventually, time is going to catch up with you. And your only hope is the one who has defeated time. The only, your only hope is the one who has defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's the only one. Amen. And when you don't pursue the hope at the expense of hoping for life, liberty, and happiness, we pursue life, liberty, and happiness, but our hope in that heavenly glory and that heavenly promise makes our pursuit of life, liberty, and happy, happiness, it makes it worthwhile. It makes sense of every other pursuit. And love. Faith, hope, and love. What is love? What is it? The Greek word for love is agape. And it means the God quality of love. The quality of love that's God's love. And what is that? Let me tell you what love is. Love is affection set on fire by the glory and presence of God. Love is an affection that you have or that God has for you, set ablaze by the glorious presence of the Lord. And it is affection. That word does mean that. It does mean to feel love. I mean, I'm standing here, I'm, I can see all of you, and I just feel tremendous love for every one of you. I love my church family. I love my immediate family. I love all of you so much. Here's what love does. Here's what the power of God's love, agape love, will do. Love conquers, conquers all threats to the free heart. <laughs> love conquers every threat to the free heart. Anything in the world that would threaten the liberty, 
the freedom that God has given you in Christ, love conquers that. Be it death, uh, physical ailment, age, poverty, no matter what it is, love, eventually love conquers it. Love is the highest law of the Christian life. The well-loved, listen, the well-loved person loves well. The well-loved person tends to love well. Would we ground our identities in the love and care and compassion that God has for us, the affection he has for us that is set on fire by the glorious presence of the Lord? You and I will tend to love other people well. The other day we were in the store. My wife was just kind of uh, looking around and she was uh, looking at some stuff to buy for her garden. And I had this weird experience. I mean, it's not weird. It's perfectly natural, but it doesn't happen all the time. And what happened to me was uh, she was just looking at this and going, oh, that's cute. No, that's cute. And I became overwhelmed with a feeling of just pure love for her. I almost broke down and started crying in the store. My, like my lip started quivering and my, my eyes watered up. And I was just so overcome with my love for that cute little lady and all her little passions for her garden. I just, it was an affection that was set on fire by the glorious presence of the Lord in me. It was a God kind of love for her. And do you know that God has that kind of love for you? God loves you a thousand times more, a million times more. You are loved by God. Now we know that the scripture says, for God so loved what? The world. Now, the Bible does not say, for God so organized the world. And I know that disappoints some of you. It doesn't say, for God so tolerated the world. Like, he put up with you, so he sent his son. Nope. It doesn't even say, God really appreciated the world. I mean, I appreciate you. So I sent my son. It doesn't say that. It says, for God so loved the people of the world. He loved us so much that he was willing to give his best and his most costly. His best and his most costly. His son, his one and only son, so that you and I would not perish and die and be separated in hell from him forever, but that, so that we would be transformed image bearers into the likeness of the son and know eternal life. You see, the person whose mind and heart knows that the person who knows that and who knows and experiences that the truth that they are loved so well by God, they will tend to love well. They will tend to love the people made in his image. That's what God has called us to be and called us to do. You see, the person whose mind and heart is marinated in the truth of God's love for us through Christ and through Christ the world the people who walk with God and cultivate a heart of faith actively, intentionally, evidenced by an unshakable, unspoilable hope. Those people who know that they are loved well by God, they will love others like God loves them. And they will not divide the body, but will be broken for the body. Are you broken for the body of Christ today? I know that a lot of you are. I bet all of you are broken in your heart for the body of Christ today. So my encouragement for you is to be intentional about your faith. Guard it. 
Encourage it. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of it. To have a hopeful disposition, the blessed hope of Christ, our glorious God and Savior and his return. That's our ultimate hope. That's really our only hope. And to love God and let God love you. Will you let God love you? Will you let him do it? Because he wants to love you well. And his love poured out on us by the Holy Spirit his love poured out abundantly into our hearts, flowing through us to the people who need Jesus so much. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, so incredibly grateful. It's hard to even say to live in a place where we can worship you freely. That is your gift to us. It is not our gift to you. And God, so long as you give it, and so long as you call us to stand for it, we will. But Lord, we have gathered as your holy assembly this morning, out in this field, just like Jesus did on the fields in Galilee. And we have come here to proclaim one message, that you alone are God, and Christ alone is your Son, who is the Savior and Lord of the world. And God, would you just encourage this flock right now, encourage this family. Let them receive it, your love. Let them receive the power, the transforming power of your affection for them that is set ablaze with your glory and your presence. And God, would you encourage our faith? Would you strengthen our faith in these difficult times? And would you make us people who are just people who are obsessed with the hope of glory. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Why don't you stand? Let's close it out.